morning, church, and welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be with you. And this morning, we're going to be closing the series that we've called Tell Me a Story. Um, and the goal is to close the story with the ending of the story. Um, a good story draws you in at the beginning and, and gets you really interested in what's going on. It tells the story of the characters. Um, but the most interesting characters are the ones who change over time, the ones who learn something, the ones who do something different. And, and, and there's always some kind of culmination. There's always some kind of point where you know that the, the author is trying to get the main person in the story to. There's some kind of change. There's some kind of revelation. There's some kind of, re, uh, there's some kind of arrival that you can tell that all of this story, the whole reason this story is being told is to get to this one point. And I think God's story is kind of the same. Um, and even if we're not familiar with Scripture, I think that there's something in us that resonates when we say that the story God's telling is unfinished. That we are dissatisfied with the way things are, in one sense or another. That there is, there's something in us that says, that longs for something more. There's something in us that longs for something to be completed, and we don't have it yet. And so sometimes we invest our lives in trying to resolve it for ourselves. We either try to become the best person that we could possibly be, and we do that by a number of different kinds of means, but we're striving to better ourselves. We're striving to be the best person so that if I can get to the place where I'm the best person that I could possibly be, then I can live my best life now, and everything will be perfect. Or sometimes we say, well, maybe if I just acquire the most amount of things, if I acquire this certain thing or that next thing, that one thing more, then my life will be complete. If I could just get a place, uh, just get an, a house to be settled in, then my life would be complete and I'd feel finished. Spoiler alert, houses are continually falling apart. It is, not, it is not an arrival to have bought a house. It is a beginning of something that you will be repairing forever. Or maybe we think, if I could just achieve the right thing, like if I could get to a good place in my job, or I could get that raise, or I could get that amount of income, if I could get into that tax bracket, then everything would be great. And um, we, we deceive ourselves. But I think just by going through those couple of things, and those are the most surface level, those are the most obvious, but they indicate to me they're symptoms of the disease that we live in an unfinished world. We're dissatisfied with the way things are. And some of us just continually say no all the time, no matter what. <laughs> so I'd like to look at the end of the story. I'd like to look at the conclusion with you. But in order to get to the conclusion, I'd actually like to show you something at the beginning. So we're going to look at the bookends of the story. We're going to look at the front and the back, the beginning and the end. If we were Greek, we would say the Alpha and the Omega, but because we speak English, we'd say the A and the Z. Um, so let's pause together this morning before we get rolling, and let's pray together the disciples' prayer, the model of prayer that Jesus left for us, um, and ask that he would be with us and that he'd take all glory to his name in this time that we have together. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you'd turn with me to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, uh, which is, should be on page 1 if you're using these blue Bibles. It may be page 2. Let me jet, double check for you. Yep, page 1. Page 1 of the Blue Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, the very first words of the book. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So at the very beginning, the introduction to the book, it assumes something that our hearts don't assume. In the beginning, God created. God doesn't spend much time trying to prove himself. He doesn't spend much time trying to make a case for his existence. He simply says, hey, in the beginning, it was me. I was it. And then I created things that are not me. God says, I am that I am. I'm the God who is real. I am Yahweh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to create everything that we see. I'm going to skip a couple of verses, I just want to read the first part of a couple of verses because God makes everything that we can see. In verse 6, and God said, let there, or in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. In verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. In verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and their fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs for seasons and for days and for years. In verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. In verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. In verse 26, the narrative slows down a little bit. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God is intimately creating. He speaks and things are. Everything we see, the light and the dark, the earth and its form, the seas from the heavens, the sky from the, from the ground, like everything that made, that's made is made by God. The stars in the heavens everywhere point to his existence and his creative mind. The creeping things that crawl in the oceans, down in the deeps that haven't been explored yet. He knows them all. 
the things that fly in the air, the things that creep on the ground, and he pauses, and he stoops in the dust, and he forms man. See, God, God made it all. He made it all in order. He took something that was without form and void. He gave it form and filled it with life. And God cares too much to be a remote controller. We saw that even when everything went wrong and God decided he was going to start over again, we talked about how God worked in the story of Noah. We saw that God cares too much to be a remote controller. But he stoops in the dirt and he makes man. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the, all the host of them, and God, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. He didn't rest because he was tired. He ceased working because it was finished. And by leaving an extra day, he set a model for us to remember that we did not make it all, that it continues on without our labor. But from the very beginning, before sin ever pictured, or before sin ever entered into the picture, there was still work to be done. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord made to come up, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was is the Pishon, the name it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the, and the gold of that land is good. Delam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole of the land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every, every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So I read a lot of verses there, but there are a couple of details that I want you to see, that as God created these things, as he planted a garden, he put the seeds in the ground, but it hadn't rained yet on the earth, and so there's just a bunch of potential. And to care for that potential, God places a man to work with. He wants this man to work in concert with him, to work together with him, to labor over the garden. He, God planted a garden, and he left Adam to keep it. And he just says, hey, of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, just leave that one alone. But everything else, all of this plentiful and bountiful and beautiful creation, these things that are good to look at and that are fruitful, that have good fruit to eat, you can have any of those things, except for this. And we already know how that turned out. It didn't go well. 
And it seems weird at this point to remind you that as we looked at the life of Abram, we learned that God's testing is meant for our greatest blessing. That even in our fall, even at the beginning when we turned our backs on him, he had a plan to work all things out to be better. And that reminds us that God's story isn't told in a single setting. We, we know that implicitly when we pick up a book like this, we go, I can't read all of that in one setting. Like That's a lot of things to cover. And it is dense, and it is full, and it is rich, and we can't hear it all in one setting, but I'm going to try. <laughs> in, in the eight minutes that we have left, I'm going to try to give an encapsulation of the whole story as best I can. God made things good, very good, but we ran away. We rejected him as our creator. In the times where we walked with him in the garden, we decided that we might know better than him, and we rebelled. See, from our perspective, sometimes it seems like we seek him, and some of us find him. But from the very beginning of the pages, and I didn't read them, but in chapter 3, it is God who seeks out humanity. It is God who looks for Adam and calls Adam, where are you and what have you done? God seeks us, and he continually seeks us. In our series, most recently, we learned that uh, from where are the lost. We see that in order to be lost, you must have once belonged. And we belong with God, and he seeks us. The host of heaven seeks the lost and rejoices when they are found. From our perspective, we seek him. But in reality, he's always seeking us. And so I wonder, as we look at this story, the whole story, will we continue to resist being found by him? We continue to say, no, 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 I don't know. I'm not 100% sure about all the facts and all the details of how all this stuff works out in reality. Like, it makes a good story, but I'm not sure that it's real. But will we be found by our maker? Will we trust him? Because <clears throat> God's story closes when he finished what he promised. Every time we turn around, as we read the pages of Scripture, God is introducing himself to people who have forgotten him. Comes seemingly out of the blue to, to call Abram and say, hey, I'm going to do something awesome with you, and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. My name is Yahweh. I'm the God who is. And with Moses, he comes and introduces himself. And Moses has to say, well, what am I going to tell the people? How am I going to tell them who it is that's, that's calling me to lead them out of Egypt? Tell him the God that is. Will we be found by our maker? As he introduces himself, he makes promises. And we've looked at many of these promises. And oftentimes, most of the time when God makes a promise, he doesn't give any kind of contingencies or stipulations or things that we have to meet. Because the story closes when he finishes what he promised. I've hinted at it a couple of times. Let's look at the end. Revelation chapter 21. You can flip to the other cover of your Bible. 
We're on page 1290 in the Blue Bibles here. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. This is a vision given to a man named John, somebody who walked with Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. Prepare... er, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So, we jump to the end and we see that what is old, the first heaven and the first earth, have passed away. And we actually see in Revelation chapter 20, the one before, I didn't read these verses, but in Revelation 20, 11, the heavens and the earth flee when God comes to sit in judgment. They pass away, they run before the presence of God and get out of the way. And remember that God is telling his story, and it's always his story. We saw saw that God had made everything. Like, he set everything in order. All of this creation belongs to him. He, He made it all. And remember the promises that he made to Noah, that seasons would not stop. He would not destroy the earth with a flood like he had before. But he's giving a new creation. A new heaven and a new earth come. Restored, perfected. I think sometimes we might get distracted and and think that our hope is in a heaven. That the thing that we're going to is a place in the sky. But here, Jerusalem comes to the new earth. It's not... It's not a creation unlike one that we are familiar with. It's renewed, it's restored, it's redeemed. But it's not completely unfamiliar. Except the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. This is a thing that strikes me about Christmas time and the celebration of the nativity. It is one thing to move into the neighborhood. It is one thing to become like us. It is another thing to be able to help us out of the misery that we're in. So so think about it. Say you were walking along in the forest, 
and you find that someone has dug a giant pit because people in the forest have too much time on their hands. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not true. But they've dug this giant pit, and you have fallen into it, and now there is a giant pit that you are in, and you cannot climb out of it, and there's muck in the bottom because it's in the forest, and there's muck everywhere, and you're just stuck. You can't get out. And someone comes along, and they're moved with compassion. They say, oh, no, you've fallen into this pit that someone else has dug. I am so sorry for you. And they climb down into the pit with you and sit with you in the mud. But you still can't get out. Like, you can't even get on their shoulders. Like, they're not even trying to help you out. They just got down in you. And I'm sure you appreciate not having to die alone. But it's an incomplete story. The, the miracle of Christmas that God would come down and be with us, become a man, is important. I think it's necessary. But it is an incomplete story. That, that baby grew up, and that baby <laughs> purchased salvation and redemption not only for humanity but for all of creation and here in revelation 21 we see that not only is humanity going to be restored but all of creation is restored he is making all things new and sometimes we like to just shine the light on ourselves and what jesus does in our heart and that is a miracle and that is something that we rejoice in and we celebrate in. But understand that God's purpose is even bigger than what he does in our heart. He's restoring all of it. We see the one seated on the throne, the eternal throne, and then we're reminded of the promise to David that God would make David's descendants sit on an eternal throne. If we look at verses 22 through 27, they describe the city, and the city is described as having 12 gates, 12 gates around the city, and each of those gates is named after one of the tribes of Israel, and we remember the promise to Abraham that God would use his family to be a blessing to all the world. And we see in this new heavens and new earth that Jerusalem is the center of the world. Like It becomes the capital of this global thing that all of the nations come to Jerusalem to pay honor to their eternal king, whom we know to be Jesus. And the promises made to Abraham are completed. We see that nothing unclean is brought into the city. The city is pure and holy, and the people live in, in holiness. We're reminded of the promises that God made to Moses. That there's nothing unclean in this city. So we've seen the promises to Noah, we've seen the promises to David, we've seen the promises to Abraham, we've seen promises made to Moses, all completed in this one baby who becomes the king. So will we trust God to be true to his word? There's different ways, <laughs> there's different ways that people interpret these passages to be true. And so depending upon your background, you may have heard different ways that these texts are preached, and I'm aware of that. I come with my own biases to it. And I'm aware of those too. 
but regardless of how the details are applied, the hope is the same. That God is true to his word and that the hope of all the world is accomplished in his son Jesus. God's story closes when he finished what he promised. Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God through the middle of through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The story that God wants to tell to us, points to, moves towards, is centered upon Jesus. And God's story is about rebuilding living relationships. Here, God dwells with humanity. This is Emmanuel, God with us, completely fulfilled, and he is our light. But notice what's present. This is something it took me a while to catch on to. Notice what's present. The reason that I read about the four rivers coming out of the garden is because there's a river in the end. There's a river flowing from the throne of God. The throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city of the street. And also on either side of the river, there's the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's a tree in the garden. There's a river in the garden. And it's better than it was before. It's the end of darkness. And in one way or another, we all find ourselves in the dark. There's something in this year that has brought us into moments of darkness and moments of shadows on multiple levels that maybe we're unfamiliar with. Sure, there are personal tragedies, and we all come to our own suffering at one point or another, but when we see them nationally and and across our cities, when we see things affecting the globe, we can just feel helpless and lost and dark. But the gardener who plants the tree of life the one from whom the river of life flows. His name is Jesus. The one who brings an end to darkness and who is hope in dark places, his name is Jesus. He has an end to the story. It's him. (laughs) He's the beginning of it. He's the end of it. 
And it all centers on his work and what he does. God's story closes when he finished what he promised. So what does that do for us today? Will we live with the hope of true life? Will we drink from the streams of living water, the Spirit of God, today and walk in that? God's story is about rebuilding living relationships, so will we endeavor to rebuild relationships, to fill our relationships with life, the people who frustrate us and who drive on our nerves? Will we, will we live with the hope of true life towards them? Will we take some conscious steps to acknowledging that the earth is in our care and that God's redemption spreads beyond just what he's doing in our hearts, as great as that is? Will we live and walk with the hope of true life? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. It's not one that we would write for ourselves. It seems like every person that we might want to make a hero falls and stumbles and trips. And we're reminded of our own propensities and our own heart to wander far from you. So we don't put our hope in ourselves. We don't put our hope in the human leader's our pastors, or whatever, whoever else we might want to trust. We put our hope in you. That you, born a baby, crucified and suffered, became king of all of your creation. That you'll sit on your throne eternally. That you'll bring light and life to your creation. We who are made in your image will be restored and walk with you. That you'll wipe every tear from our eye. Would you fill our hearts with that hope this morning? Would you remind us of that hope as we wake this week? as we go into whatever labor it is that you have prepared for us, whether it be school or a break or work, would we enter those things with the hope of true life, walking in your spirit and doing the good works you've prepared for us by your strength. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.